Now I'm going to I'm going to lay a groundwork here, so bear with me for a few minutes. We believe in foundations around here if we're going to talk about something. So uh, one of the important things that the Lord has shown me as I've walked with Him all these years is that we are dependent. I am dependent on Him for everything. Everything that He's done, everything that He's doing. The Scripture says He's our, our, our fortress. He's our refuge in a time of distress. Everything that we need comes from Him. He provided that through Jesus, the ultimate gift to us, our prosperity, our most importantly salvation. Our healing, all those things that we can receive come from God. We're completely and absolutely dependent on Him. And I could stand here and we could go around and take a microphone and not get through the weekend talking about how good God has been to each and every one of us. We could talk about the goodness of God until the end of time and still not cover how good He is. Amen? But in faith circles, I've seen sometimes we talk a lot about God as the only thing, or we come to believe, I should say, that God is the only thing that we need in this natural life. Now, we're saved. We know what the end is. We know what's happening. We know where we're going. But this life that we have that's just a breath or a whisper, we're still here. We're in a natural body in a natural world. And we are, of course, totally dependent on God as our source and totally dependent on Him as everything else. But there are some other things that we need. We really get hung up in our catchphrases sometimes. If I went around, anybody could throw those out, you know. Uh, don't talk the problem. Go find your answer in the Word. All the answers are in the Word. And all of those things are true. All of those statements are true. We don't want to talk the problem. We, the answers are in the Word. But in and of themselves, they aren't all truth. They're part of the truth. Does that make sense? They're part of the truth in each of those cases. And we kind of get on them and we start thinking that we're on this journey that we have down here alone, just us and God walking through. How many have ever heard that expression? Just me and Jesus walking through. Well, that's good. But you know what? There's a whole lot of people sitting around here. Look around that are here for a reason and for a purpose. And we do need Jesus. And if it was down to me and him, we'd make it all the way. Amen. But he didn't do that. That's not how he left us. He didn't leave us, and he didn't go off on his own and say, you guys are on your own down there. Just you and Dad are going to take care of this from here on out, did he? No, he left disciples. He left disciples as examples to us as how we're supposed to live our life and what we're supposed to do. So we need each other. The truth is we need each other. And I found being a part of these churches for many years now that one thing it's very hard sometimes to talk about, and I, and I don't know um, whether whether people get stuck on, whether it's prideful sometimes, because I don't want to tell you that I have had a struggle in this area, or if I just don't want to share it, because I don't want you to know. Um, I don't know sometimes if it's um, because we think people wouldn't understand. No one else will understand what I'm going through. No one else has been tempted this way. No one else has had to deal with this in life. No one else has this. No one else has that. Lies, lies, lies. All of that are lies. But these feelings and emotions that we have are real. They're very real things. You can't deny them. Now, we're not guided by them. We're not led by them. We're not governed by them. But they're real. They're very real. When you're experiencing a sense of despair or you're experiencing a sense of loneliness, that's a very real thing that's happening to you. Amen? But we have to learn to deal with them the way God has it. Stick with me. This is just a foundation for encouragement. And I do know this, loneliness is not a plan for God, of God's plan for human beings. That's not what he meant. He left us people around us of like-minded believers, brothers and sisters in Christ to be encouragers to one another. There has to be a balance between that solitude and in fellowshipping with God and taking care of and encouraging and fellowshipping with our brothers and sisters. The word's very clear on that. Don't forsake that. If we didn't need it, he wouldn't say that. It wouldn't be there. He'd say, live your life alone in isolation as far out of the country off the grid as you can. Stay away from people. They're trouble. Has anybody ever felt that way? I've had moments like that. Where I just stay away from people. They're trouble. Not God. That's not, how he li- that's not how he intended for us to do things. So for those of you that may think, no, I don't need anyone. I have some scripture here that I'm going to read to you and you can argue with God later. Do it on your own time, as, my, as our teachers used to say. We're going to go back to Genesis. And when God was talking about creating man in his image, we are created in the image and likeness of God like him. Does God have emotions? Yeah, it's not a trick question. Yes, he does. The Bible's full of inst- instances throughout the Old Testament of his wrath, of his anger, of his jealousy. 
Thank God most of the Bible is full of the love of God and the good things of God and his feelings of love toward mankind. I'm so thankful for that. But clearly he experienced emotions as we do because we're made in his image. He actually experienced those things first, by the way. It's not new to him that you're upset about something. It's not new to him that you're in a little bit of despair about this. He's, he's, he's a jealous God. He's been there. So he knows how to help us through it. Amen. Let's go to Genesis uh, 2, 15 through 18 is what we're going to read. And I'm actually going to read from the Young's literal, guys. Sorry, I should say that first, shouldn't I? And Jehovah God taketh the man and causeth him to rest in the Garden of Eden to serve it and to keep it. Now, go back to that verse real quick. This has absolutely nothing to do with my sermon. But while I was talking today, I was talking to the Lord and, and studying... That says to serve it and to keep it. Man had obligations and responsibilities before the curse. He was designed to serve. That's a whole other teaching, but isn't that interesting? We'll talk about more in just a minute. Okay, go to the next verse. And Jehovah God layeth a charge on the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden eating thou dost eat, and of the knowledge that the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou dost not eat of, for in the day of thine eating of it, dying thou dost die. 18. And Jehovah God saith, not good for man to be alone. That's like seems emphatic to me, not good. It's not just, this doesn't seem right. It's not good for man to be alone. I do make to him a helper as his counterpart. So, yeah, that's where I'm, we're going to stop right there. And I've taken some time to study on this verse. And as I'm, as I'm not going to go into the whole detail because, you know, really, you need to study the Bible for yourself. Don't be offended. You should. Because you get out there. Do you know that words don't mean the same things that they meant 50 years ago, 10 years ago in some cases, 100 years ago? There's words that were written in the Bible originally that have changed by the time the translations happened. So they chose the best option. So when you really get into studying some of this, you'll find out that, that, that there's really a lot more meat in the scriptures than what the King James or NIV say. And I'm not talking about just reading all the different versions. Get in there and study. What does it say from the beginning? What does this word mean? You can get caught up. And I, was, I remembered when I was thinking when I was doing this, I was a kid. This is a 10-year-old mind. Scary sometimes. But I was 10 years old, and I remember having the thought sitting in church one day that the pastor must have the most boring job on earth. All he has to do all week long is read the Bible and study the Bible and write a sermon. And then what else does he do? I've, I've observed that that's not the case. I've experienced, has anybody else observed that? Not the case. There's a whole lot of things in ministry. There's really not a dull moment around here, not a dull second, actually. And so I've learned that that's a good thing. But, but when you spend time in the Word and you study it out, you can get lost for hours in this book on two scriptures or half a scripture or three words. And you might come out of hours long spending time with God with 10 words or 100 words, but they're going to be good words. So you have to spend time with God for yourself. But in studying that out, um, and this scripture and chapter, there's a couple of things that really stood out with me, to me. And I believe that when God said he was going to create a companion for, for Adam, as we call him, and as he called him, I believe that God knew and recognized that the absence of friendship and companionship leads to a sense of isolation and despair. And I started thinking about this, and I really got excited thinking about it, because really, this is the creator of the universe who's just taken the time to separate the water from the land, who's created the sun and the moon, who's set uh, the, the grasses and the plants on the earth, who's the fowl of the air, the fish of the sea, the beasts of the land. He's created all these things. And in creating mankind, in his final act of creation, in him, of, of creating this man to fellowship with him, he was thinking about us. And I know we're taught from we're little bitty kids about creation. You ought to go back and read it again because oftentimes it's been simplified for children to learn. On the first day God did this, on the second day God did that. We've just been working on a series with the kids. And you'll be surprised to find that some of the things you believe about creation aren't in the Bible. And the way things were done and the things that were created on which days. Am, am I correct? We were like, oh my word, that's what I believe since I was a little kid. And they simplify things for children, and I'm not knocking that. You can't, it's very hard to do college level work to kindergarten. But the point is that God um, was thinking of man at this moment. 
knowing, and we're, and we're taught that, that he made him a mate and that they, so that he could reproduce and replenish the earth. And that was a part of it. I'm going to say a tiny part of it. Because he could have, there are other species that reproduce after themselves. It doesn't require anything else. That's not the only reason God did it. He did it for companionship and fellowship because he knew it was not good for man to be alone. Amen? So, I, so, I, so that was one of the things that I called out. And then second, God intends for us to live together in harmony and to value one another. There's nowhere in the scripture that says he created woman to be less than man. We're to value one another. We're to encourage one another. We counterbalance one another. And I'm not talking about just male and female. I'm talking about as believers. We can apply this. We're here. What I'm not good at, Dan's good at, Rob's good at, someone else is better at, they should be doing that. Those are the graces they have. We balance each other out. And in the end, all the work gets accomplished with excellence because any one person can't do it alone. God knew that. That was just in the Garden of Eden. He knew that. So isn't, I mean, don't you think that's interesting that that first act of God demonstrating his love for man was part of creation? He was thinking about us even as he was finishing his finest creations. That's good, amen? So tonight, as I said, we're going to talk about encouraging one another. We should be dependent on each other. But in Hebrews 3.13, in the NIV... It says, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I'm going to point out a couple of things in this verse that really stood out to me, because as I read that, um, I thought, today. Encourage one another today. Why use the word today? And then I thought, you know, as you're standing there and you're thinking about this is yesterday, but yesterday was today, yesterday. And the day before that was today. And if you go the other direction to tomorrow, tomorrow is tomorrow today, but tomorrow it's today. And the next day it's today. So really he's saying encourage one another every single day because today is today from midnight to mid 12, whatever it is, 1159. I don't know the tech. Don't tell, don't send me scientific. You get the point. Amen. <laughs> But it's 24 hours is today. And then the next today comes around. And then the next today comes around. And we could walk, I could sidestep my todays all the way around this building umpteen times and we'll never be able to say how much we're supposed to encourage one another. So that's part of the verse. And then the second part of that verse says, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin is deceitful. It's a lie. It says this is the result you're going to get when that's the result that you're going to get. It says you're going to enjoy it like this and you're going to be hurt by it like that. Sin is deceitful. And if and on our own, we're going to face sin. You're going to face things that come against you, right? And without that encouragement, what this is saying to me is I can get hardened to those things. I can get hardened, not, not to sin, but, to, but I can allow sin to harden me from the things that God has for me because I get isolated, because I believe that I'm not worthy, because I begin to see through the eyes of sin instead of through the eyes of grace. Amen? So we, in, in doing this, that's an admonition that we want to encourage each other so that we don't get hardened. That's, that's, that's not even a nice to do. It's God commanding us to encourage one another. Amen? Now, before I get into some characteristics of an encourager, because you know I like to give points. It helps me organize things in my brain. And they're never meant to be exhaustive because, you know, there are a thousand things that an encourager can look like. But we're going to cover some of those today. But before we do that, I think it's good to define what Bible encouragement is. And I could go up here and I could say, oh, Barbara, you look so pretty tonight. You've got that nice emerald green and your pretty necklace on and you just look great. We're so glad you're here tonight. Hey, Dan, did you get new shoes? Are those alligator? Those are great. That is awesome. I could go around here and I could say something really nice to every one of you and it would edif- do nothing to edify the body because that kind of, it's not, I'm not saying it's bad to compliment people. Gentlemen, if your wife come home with a new hairdo, you better say something. <laughs> that day, don't wait three days and say, did you change something? <laughs> Word of wisdom, it will not go well with you. 
But that's, it's not that it's bad to compliment one another and to say when you can tell someone's taken an effort to do something. That's okay, but you have to understand that that is just feeding the flesh. That's not edifying the spirit. And the biblical encouragement, the, what the Bible's talking about in encouragement, is going to edify the spirit. It's a spiritual encouragement. Amen? So in doing that, true encouragement, I just said, feeds the spirit. Encouragement, number one, should lift others' hearts towards God. It should point them to Him. It is never self-edification. It's always edifying God. It's never calling attention to you. It's calling attention to God in you. Does that make sense? Or to someone else? I was blessed by what you did for me. That Lord used you to minister to my heart. Um, today, Brother Rob, that offering message really ministered to me about sowing. I want to get out there. I know I've been lax in that area, and thank you for encouraging me in that. That helps Rob to know that that's coming up. I'm getting ahead of myself. The second point is encouragement should point out evidence of graces, the graces that other people have to help them see more clearly and encourage them that God is using them. That's probably confusing. I was trying to break that down a little bit better. But essentially, encouragement is, is pointing out graces in other people's lives that minister to you. And you know what that says to them? God used you to minister to me. I, last time I had the opportunity to speak, I don't know, a week or ten days afterwards, I got wonderful emails, and that's all nice, and, and I do appreciate it. It is very encouraging. But I got a little note card in the mail, and someone had just taken the time to say, um, Brother Tom... Thank you for being willing because what you said to me changed a course. It set me up to win in this instead of, instead of the path I was on. And so thank you for listening to the Lord. And you know what? I didn't, I didn't sit there. I got a tear in my eye, not because Tom did good, but because in spite of, you know, the, the reality of my life is I am an introvert. I know. I am. I don't, I don't seek to be in front of people. It's never been my thing. Amy can tell you, in all the years we've been married, I've never said my entire goal in life is public speaking. Um, I was in a business world. I liked it. I enjoyed it a lot. And the Lord brought me into doing some things. And so that doesn't mean I'm not thankful and grateful for the opportunities. But it's a miracle in my life that I stand up here and do this. And I'll be ready to go to sleep when we're over. <laughs> but the truth is that um, this woman took the time to write a note and say that to me. And I was encouraged because in spite of me, as I was overcoming, God used me to minister to that person who was watching online that night because I was willing and obedient. It has nothing to do with Tom. God had a word for her, and I got to be the one that night that delivered it. Could have been anybody else. He'd have gotten that word to her anyway. But that encouraged me that God is using me. In spite of what happened that week, in spite of everything else that might have gone wrong that week, and, and I know nobody, everybody thinks ministry is perfect. There's just things that happen and things that you want to plan for and things that maybe don't go exactly right. And it's easy to get frustrated just like it is in any of the jobs that you're doing every day. But that brought me back to what, why we do what we do. And it was a 40, what is it, what are stamps, 49 cents or whatever now? Less than 50 cents. You can send a stamp. That was, that was, just took me to places I couldn't have gone that day. Got me right back on focus because someone took the time to encourage me. I encouraged them. They encouraged me. Amen? Amen. Um, and then last I had written down this last point of encouragement will point to promises in the word of God that remind them that everything that they are facing is under God's control. God's got this. Encouragement doesn't, says, doesn't say, I know this is hard. <laughs> I know, I know. People die all the time of that. It happens every day, probably multiple times in a day. People just drop dead from what you've got. <laughs> That's not encouraging. <laughs> and we laugh, but there's a lot of Christians that say that before they get into the encouragement. Guys, skip that. They don't need to hear that. The enemy's telling them that every minute that they're awake. Let me tell you, if you've ever had a diagnosis, the hardest part is not the healing. For me, it's the not listening to the devil about your diagnosis and not receiving that. Then I can get healing. I've got that. But it's this. So don't do that. Don't, don't do that. Don't, don't call out the problems. Call out the solution. God is your healer. 
Jesus paid for that on the cross. He took stripes so that you don't have to do that. You're the righteousness of God in Christ. You're going to live and not die. You'll declare His works. You're going to have a testimony when you come out of this that's going to help and deliver hundreds of other people from what you're going through. Oh, yeah, God's going to use you to save others from the same fate. He's going to do that. And you encourage one another and build each other up. That's what encouragement should do. It reminds people that God promised you something. God said He would do this and He's going to do it. No matter what you feel, no matter what your body said this morning, no matter what the doctor's report was when he called, God promised you something. What did He promise you? What did His Word say? Go back to that. What does His Word say? His Word says you're healed. His Word said you have things to do. I started something in you and I'm going to finish it. He began a good work in you and He's going to take you to the finish line with it. And you're going, to say, you're going to hear him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. You're not going before your time. Glory to God. I'm remi- you remind them of the promise that God made for them. He does not have for you to be poor. God, it's not his will for you to be begging for food. It's his will for you to take care of your family. It's his will. This is his will. He said he's provided everything above and beyond what you could ask or think. He's given us the tools in this word to do it. You're doing those things. That is not God's best for your life. We only receive God's best. The promises of God are true. They're yes and amen. He can't lie. He's not a man. That's encouragement. Amen? You're not, I put it down. You are not in this alone. God has not forgotten or abandoned you. Keep seeking. You'll find it. Amen? So what are some characteristics of an encourager? And there's just a few of these. Number one, I have encouragers love. Let's look at John 13, 34 in the NIV. None of these should be new scriptures to you, but it's still good to lay eyes on them, right? A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one as I have loved you, so you must love one another. Commandment. The new commandment of love, the love commandment, right? Proverbs 10, 12, in, also in the NIV, Proverbs 10, verse 12, says, Hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers all wrongs, over all wrongs. What does love do? Love covers. 1 Corinthians 8, 1, NIV says, finishes with knowledge puffs up while love builds up. What does love do? It, it, we were, we're commanded to do it by the master for one thing. Hatred stirs up conflict. Love covers all wrongs and love builds up. Those are signs of an encourager. They love by covering. Love covers. Love doesn't call it out. Love covers. And then by building up. And what about the unlovable? Well, how many of you have ever... I know, no, don't just hang on to that little phrase. How many of you have ever started a new job? I'm believing God that most of you are working or have worked at some point in your life. So most of us have started a new job or, or learned a new skill. Maybe you, maybe you work for yourself and you're learning a new skill. Well, there are, there are jobs that I would venture that you could learn in a few hours how to do the job. There are jobs that take weeks and weeks how to learn how to do jobs, sometimes months. Um, there's other jobs, uh, things like NASA and, and places that you go to work, that it's going to be years before an astronaut ever sees any time in space because the training is intense. There are things going on, right? There are things that are changing. Well, the same is true of Christians and churches. Churches are filled with people who are uh, mature believers, some people that aren't as mature as they think they are, none of present company excluded, of course, Um, And then there's baby Christians. We're a mix just like that. We're all at different places with the Lord. Now, I mean, loving the Lord is not a job, obviously, but but it parallels in that you're learning things as you get on on the job experience. Once you get saved, wouldn't it be nice if everything changed and every temptation, every sin you have in your life is immediately gone and there's no temptation to go back to those sinful ways before you got saved? It's not how it happens. Thank you for that affirmation. (laughs) That's not how it happens. It's a journey that we're on together. And you know what? The Lord's going to deal with those things. And as as they come up in your heart, He's going to deal with you to change them. He's going to put you on a course to get into His plan. Amen? 
He's going to put you on a course and he's going to make those little corrections and adjustments. And if the Lord doesn't expect us to just... We are a new creation. But the manifestation of that in the natural takes time. You don't immediately change every behavior. The Lord helps you. Isn't it amazing? I mean, I remember getting saved and I remember immediately knowing this, this, and this got to go. But this went first, and this went second, and that. You know what I'm saying. It's a process in your, in your relationship with the Lord usually. So the same is to be said. And, and I can't look at you and say, uh, new Christian, seasoned Christian, mm, getting there. Uh, let's see. I can't do that because I can't look at you. It has nothing to do with age. It has nothing to do with race, since we're all the same race in the Lord. Amen. It has nothing to do with number of years you've been in church. There are a lot of people that were in church a long time before they got saved. I was one of them. I was 13 when I really got saved. I was raised in church. I knew all about God. I just didn't know Him. Right? I knew Him. But anyway, the point is, I'm going to equate this also. We work a lot with the teams. When when teams come together, it is such a... uh, divine direction that the Lord gave for these churches because it's how the work of the church gets done in so many cases. You know, I'm, I'm thankful. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful. I never have to go in the bathroom and look for a stall with toilet paper in it. I, I know there's toilet paper in the bathrooms and I didn't go look before service. I know because I, we have a great team that takes care of that. There's always soap in the bathrooms to wash your hands and you should always wash your hands. <laughs> Little children's training coming out. Always wash your hands. Everyone else appreciates it. But, but my, the, the, I never have to kick dirt and dust to the side or, or garbage outside to get in the doors. Our grounds are clean. It looks like we're coming to serve the Lord here. And that is a big part of what teams were established to be. But it's not the only part. The real function that they play in the church is putting together all these different people, new believers, seasoned believers, people that, are, that know the Lord well and people that, people that have been in church for years and years but never really learned anything about doing it their way or uh, they're, they're used to, no one's ever called them on just doing it my way because that's the way I know how to do it. They've not been trained. They've not been taught. And you're throwing all these people together and it runs just as smoothly as silk every single time. And if you believe that, <laughs> you're putting people together Mixing personalities, mixing people from different age groups, from different life backgrounds, from different places where they are with the Lord onto a team. And what we should be doing on these teams, and I know this is happening, this isn't a condemnation of teams, but it's an example of how we're supposed to live together in unity and help one another. Where I said to, our, our, to, the, to the groups, uh, the leaders a few weeks ago, we're not trying to get people off our team. We're trying to keep them on our team. We're trying to keep them grounded because someone who even has issues, maybe they're rebellious and they don't show up on time. But if we can keep them coming, God can minister to them. If we kick them out, they become hardened to that sin that we were talking about earlier. I wasn't even loved at church. We want to encourage people. We want to disciple people on these teams. And what does love do? Love covers. Love says, you probably didn't know this, but this is how we need to do that. Love says, you probably didn't know, but, but you know, we started at 6 o'clock, not 7.30. <laughs> but you, there's such a difference. But we're, we want you to come. If you, can't get, if you can't be here till 7.30, we want you to be here. And you know what? They'll learn without you nagging them. I learned without Amy nagging me, and she wanted to a lot of times, I guarantee you. I got a good one, you guys. I'm very thankful for my wife. But, but as it relates to the teams and things, we are a group coming together. It's a perfect example of working together and encouraging one another in the things of the Lord. And what, 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 what is it? Nothing better than having that time when you come together and think, oh, you, you did this? I just got, this person just got a cancer diagnosis and this person was healed of cancer two years ago. Do you think that's a coincidence that they came together on the ladies' clean team doing stalls that week? No. God has, God has ordained that these people come together so that they can encourage one another. This one's not going to find healing from this one, but this one can hear that experience and know where that healing came from and know that they stood in spite of 10 diagnoses and I wasn't supposed to be here in another two weeks. That's what encourages them. And that's what should be happening on our teams, just like it should be happening across the churches. Amen? 
Um, but back to the unlovable question, because I know that if, don't raise your hands, but I know that if you think there have been people in all of our lives that you think they are, ju- it's just not possible. I just can't get along with them. I just can't. Just don't put us together. Whatever you do, put them on a different team. They need to be, they need to be like on children's or something. Punish them good. Put them on kids. <laughs> you think we don't know what you say. I'm just kidding. We are, I'm very thankful we have the best volunteers. But here's the answer to that question. John 4.20 in the NIV. Oh, I said that. Oh, that's not right. I had the wrong reference written down. Where's the, where's the scripture? Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother. First John. Thank you, front row. First John 4.20, is that right? Well, I'll read it to you anyway. Whoever claims, there you know, yes. Any, if anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he's a liar. Got really quiet. And it wasn't just the rain. For anyone who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And you know, I think people read that scripture and they think, oh, hate is such an ugly word. I don't hate anybody. I would never hate someone. But remember last week when you said something really hateful to him? Where did that come from? Hateful. We think that hate is something that we can't be, when in reality, if you pull it back and look at it, there are people that that we have issues with. And it can go from... I need to work on this and be a believe, be a, honor them and, and value them as a believer to be in hate really quick. That's what the enemy does. And you know what? His best tools, we don't recognize right off the bat. But I don't have a problem talking about them to someone else. I mean, I love them because they're my Christian brother, but I know I just can't work with them. They did this and this and this to me, and I, you know, I stopped short of hating them, but I really dislike them. I'm not sure God differentiates between those. And if the scripture says, I can't love God and hate my brother, then I can't. And I think that point being, if I can't work it out with people that I can see and touch and have a conversation with, sit there and work it out, how can I work it out with God that I don't even see? I have to accept that by faith. This isn't faith. These are real people sitting in front of me. So that's the answer. There is no one that's unlovable. Because I'm going to love God. Is anybody else? And if if I'm loving God, I can't hate somebody. I can't hold things against them. Because I'm not going to be a liar. Amen. Nothing builds up the church like the demonstrated love of Christ. When we love and not judge, we encourage others to continue in the faith through the highs and lows, through the joys and the difficulties, through the what seems like failures, until we are walking together in victory. Amen? That's what encouragers love. The next thing I wrote down was, or have on my list, number two is encouragers share. Revelation 12:10 NIV says, Then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of God and the authority of this Christ, for the accuser of our brothers, who accused them before our God night and day, has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. David is a good example of someone. He spoke boldly for God. And you know, if you've studied the Psalms at all, or if you've studied much about the Word, David had some baggage. Amen? David had some baggage. Some baggage that, that, uh, that a lot of people have had one or two of those things, but David was a murderer, an adulterer. Um, uh, what else? He was a, but he, was, he did things. He, he, he stole someone else's wife. He had him killed for selfish reasons. And yet God called him a man after his own heart. Why? Because in his heart he was repentant to the Lord. He went back to the God that he knew to serve and repented of those things. But David had some baggage, but he still, throughout the Psalms, declared the goodness of God. He said, come and hear all you who fear God. Let me tell you what God has done for me. 
That was Psalm 66, 16, but you could turn anywhere in the Psalms. And what is he doing? You're my this. You're my fortress. You're my deliverer. You are the God that heals me, that delivered me. You're the God that directs me. He was a, he was a guy who had a testimony. He didn't have to share those testimonies. I'm sure that there's, t- there's times when he wishes some of those things weren't in the Bible. But we can learn from those testimonies. Amen? When the Lord's done something for you, when he's intervened on our behalf, when he has made a way where there seemed to be no way, we don't keep that hidden into ourselves. Like the little kids, you know, this little light of mine. Does anybody know that song? Am I really dating myself? Well, they should still be singing it because it's truth. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel. No, that's right. I got some help up here. Hide it under a bushel. No, we teach the kids. No. Well, those that light that we're shining is our story. It's our testimony. It's the good things that God has done for us. And sometimes to make good emphasis of the very good things God has done for us, people need to know where we came from. Amen. Um, an openness to the truth of what God has done in our lives helps others and equips them to overcome fear, anxiety, and doubt. That is why we share our testimony. That is why encouragers share. I remember having a conversation with a dear brother in Christ, and I brought up something from the past that I thought had, that God had helped him with, and he had. But he had kind of immediately shut me down and said, that's past. I don't talk about the past. And I don't remember exactly what I said, but it was something to the effect of sometimes people need to hear that so that they can avoid it or so that they can, they can be blessed by what your mistakes you've made and go forward. And I didn't, I didn't dwell on it. I left it. And, and later he came back and said, I, I was encouraged by that. That was right. I know that. So we, things that happen to us, God doesn't cause those things to happen. But if he brought you out of it, you should be giving him the glory for it. We don't have to talk about what happened to the extent that it brought, how it brought us down, but we can talk about how God brought us out. That's the testimony. That's what encourages those around you. And if you're not willing to share that, then how do you help someone else? I believe that people can hear your testimony and not even have to go down the road they were going down. You don't, as a parent, you don't want your kids to make the mistakes that you made. You want to encourage them down the right way. Amen? You want to keep encouraging them to go down the right path because you don't want them. You've had some experience in this. Hey, you know what? I've been there. You don't want to do this. It seems so good right now at 16, but when when you're 20, when you're 24, when you're 40, you're going to regret it. Sometimes they listen, sometimes they don't, but they had the opportunity to listen. Amen? Give people an opportunity to learn from that. We do this every service around here on Sunday, right? We share testimonies. Why do you think they do that? To give glory to that person who got their house paid off or to give glory to that person who got healed. They didn't heal themselves. They didn't pay that house off themselves. We, Brother Moore says, we give God all the glory and give the devil none. We're rejoicing with them in the good things that God has done. Because as we're sitting out there, and if you're sitting down here on the front row and you're listening to those testimonies, you're thinking, God can do that for me. There's somebody in the house sometimes when that, I believe when when somebody's had good testimonies come through about their house being paid off or, or being able to get a home that they didn't think they could get, there's somebody sitting in that auditorium or listening online that's in the middle of a struggle over their home. Maybe God's told them they can't have it. Maybe they're in the middle of losing it. I don't know what the situation is, but I believe that those testimonies minister, that that goes out to them and says, God delivered me from this and he's no respecter of persons. He'll do it for you too. Amen? So, encouragers, share. Number three, encouragers are full of hope. Are you full of hope? 1 Thessalonians 5.11 in the NIV says, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. If hope is a feeling of expectation and a desire for certain things to happen, and in the biblical sense, hope is tied to trust, I have hope, I have trust in the Lord, right? Then encouragers are looking to instill that sense into those that are hurting or in need. We must remind people and remind people and remind people and you should be able to fill in the blanks. Remind people 
and remind people and remind people that they can trust. They do have a hope in the promises God has given to them in this word. You say, well, I've told them a hundred times. Well, tell them 101. How many times? Um, I would like to say that I, every time I received correction or a little bit of direction, I received it and made that change instantly. I'm getting better at it. But if Mrs. Moore was sitting up here tonight, she would shake her head, no, he didn't. <laughs> but you know what? She's merciful. And she said it until I got it. Thank God. That's exactly right. Thank God she says it until we get it. Thank God the Lord doesn't give up on us because we didn't listen the first time. Aren't you glad? One of the most powerful things I ever heard during an altar call was Brother Moore said, was talking about when you ask God to forgive you about something and you come back and you say, God, you know, it's, it's me again. I did it again. And he said, did what again? He's not keeping count of how many times you did it. If you've repented, it's over. It's done. Starts all over, brand new tomorrow. Your news to, oh, news to me. <laughs> That's exactly how God is about it. Oh, news to me. Well, let's, let's take care of that then. He's not keeping track, and we shouldn't either. Amen? Amen? We remind people, we remind people, we remind people how good God is. Don't ever let someone walk away from you thinking you doubt that. Amen? Well, um, one of the things, hope is, hope becomes, trying to think of a better way to explain this, hope becomes, for lack of a better words for some people, you don't know where people are when, you, when, you, when you're coming to talk to them. And hope becomes that, for lack of a better word, a death grip. You know what I'm talking about? that I am locking on and I will not let go. Hope can become that for people. If you give them something to hope for, they might be on the verge of letting go. But I can hang on to that. I'm going to sink my sink your nails into it. I'm no matter what happens, I'm not letting go. That's a good example of hope. Hope keeps you hanging on. When in the natural it says you can't, you hang on and says God's word says I can. And you've got that grip, and you ain't letting go. Amen? Amen. Has anybody else done that, by the way? You just say, no. I'm clenching my fist, and I'm not letting go. Not letting go of this promise, because I know it's from the Lord. I know He did it. Amen? Hope means that the presence of struggles or sin in our lives does not mean that we are lost. That means that just because there's things going on around you, God has not given up on you. God has not said, he's hopeless, she's hopeless, I can't reach them. That's what hope does. Because we know who our hope is. Amen? We have a hope because the grace of God is bigger and greater and wider than sickness or disease or lack or someone talking about you or someone saying something that wasn't true about you. The grace of God is bigger than all those things in our lives. And I know I'm comparing seemingly big things like sickness with someone talking about you, but it's the same result. It's the same thing. These are things we have to overcome in the flesh. And we do that by encouraging one another because we have hope. And we want to give people that hope. I wrote down, hope is the life preserver in troubled times. And we have the ability to throw that to people as they need it. I have the ability to help you find hope. I have the ability to go out to someone who's, who's in despair and hurt and give them hope. Amen. Because of Jesus in me, I can do that. Just like throwing it. Who wouldn't do that for a drowning person? You're going to do everything you can to save them. Guys, there are believers all around us who are drowning and who just need a little hope. And all you have to do is take that little life preserver off the wall and take time to throw it. Take time to instill hope. Amen. Let's go to 1 Peter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. Verse 5 who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. 
And verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. That's hope. We're going to have trials. We're going to have stuff that we suffer through. We've been talking about that a little bit because I think in, in real faith we don't sometimes think that if I'm in faith that isn't going to happen. We're in a natural place here. We're on this little short journey and there's going to be things that come up. But guess what? We have that hope because in Jesus we know where we're going. We know what's been done for us. And we know that this is just a breath until we get there. Hope. We're full of hope representing words, representing Jesus in our words, our deeds and actions in every area. Jesus is our hope and we should always be pointing back to him. What is Hebrews 12 says? He's the author and the finisher of our faith. The finisher. That's a big word. He wants us to finish. Amen. Amen. And then my last point on uh, encouragement are encouragers are peacemakers. Or I subtitled this one, um, encouragers choose their words carefully. You'll see why in just a minute. Words are powerful. We know, we talk about in, in the scriptures here at the church, we talk about all, all the time, life and death is in the power of the tongue. We teach that, we talk about it. Um, but when we fully understand the power of that scripture, I would say we would often learn to hold our tongues a little more often. In the kids, we, we do this song, they grab a hold of their tongues, literally, yes. Another good reason to wash your hands. And we say, keep your tongues from evil, keep your tongue. And they do it holding on to their tongue, and it's fun and it's great, but it's a great lesson. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking lies. If it isn't edifying, why are we saying it? If I have something to say to my brother that isn't edifying, why, am I, why is it coming out of my mouth? If it isn't building someone up, then it is tearing them down. There isn't any in the middle ground there. If I'm not building you up, I'm tearing you down. We need to see the difference. And I <laughs> but sometimes we need to say, what is that to me? And move on. We don't have to have an opinion. Just because you have an opportunity to voice an opinion does not mean you're supposed to. Ask me how I know. I have read something the other day. It said, usually there are some things go without saying. I usually think of that right after I said it. <laughs> That's not me. I'm learning to hear before I do that. <laughs> Amen. Um, Jesus gives us a good example of how we can choose our words carefully. John 5, uh, 19. 5 verse 19, again NIV. says, Very truly I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. Verse 20. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. Verse 21. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. Brother Craig already mentioned that this morning too, or this evening too, as he was opening. We've already done that. We've already crossed over. But, he, but in the very first part of that scripture, he said, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. So Jesus gives the example, and years and years ago, Dave, wrote, Dave uh, was doing prayer and said this, and I'm sure I'm not quoting it exactly right, but it said, if we wait long enough to hear what he says, we won't ever say the wrong thing. If we wait long enough for the right words to come up, in other words, what would he have us say? We won't say the wrong thing. That's a very good word right there. And I believe today that the Lord, as I was studying, was showing me that there's a very distinct relationship between hope and judgment. That's just the devil trying to distract us. Don't do it. Hope encourages faith. Hope is a faith builder. Judgment discourages faith. Judgment is a faith destroyer. 
An encourager does not judge. Because when I choose to judge, I'm not building that person up. Plus, I'm going to be judged the same way. Hope encourages faith and builds it. Judgment discourages faith. Judgment is a faith destroyer. Amen? Um, in, in our circles, how many of you ever heard the word offense? Somebody, they got into offense. They're not here anymore. They got into offense about this. It's kind of a dirty word, right? But it's also something that if we're honest enough and don't raise your hands, there's not any person in this room that hasn't given into it at some point. And I would tell you from my own experience in my own life, the times that I really got into offense about something, I would have argued to the ground that I wasn't in offense. <laughs> Anybody else ever do that? I'm not offended. And you know why people are that way? The enemy is so sly that it starts, it's, a, it's like a layered thing. It started, what, what, what culminated here started way back there. And there was a fine layer of something somebody said coupled with somebody, the way you interpreted something that someone said because you know exactly how they meant it, coupled with listening to what the devil says about what someone said that, that you know exactly what they said, coupled with this, coupled with that, coupled with lie after lie after lie, until finally the thing that actually pushes it over the edge has nothing to do with what actually started the offense. So the only real way to know is to inquire of the Lord. Ask him. I ask him, Lord, show me if I've done this. Show me if I'm offended at somebody. Show me how to, because I want to get past that. I don't want to live with those things in my life. Amen? So if you inquire of him, you, you can, he'll let you know, and he'll also, this is how good he is, he'll let you know how to fix it. He'll say, we can do this. We can fix it. It never looks like what we think. Amen? So all that said, you think I got offline talking about offense, but the common denominator in all offense, guess what that is? Words. Very seldom is somebody offended because aside from something that someone said or did. We have to watch our words. We're carefully, we choose our words. Encouragers choose their words carefully. Amen? I found that even when I'm right in a situation and I'm justified and I'm legalistically 100% correct, the words that I choose can make me 100% wrong. It is possible to be very right and very wrong about the very same thing. You think that's not possible. It's possible. Because even though I'm right about the situation, the way I handled it caused offense and caused my brother to stumble. And that's not what we want, right? And, then, and that takes me to Romans 14, where I'll just read this. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Now they're talking here, they're having an argument about meat, if you recall. Do not destroy the word of God for the sake of food. Don't destroy God's word for being right. For the sake of something very petty. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother or sister to fall. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who does not condemn himself by what he approves. You don't want your brother to stumble. And I can be right. The Lord, I may have a conviction. You may have a conviction about something that I don't. So I think, well, I don't care. I don't have a conviction about that. I'm going to go right on and do it. But I'm causing my brother to have angst about that. I put him in an awkward situation because he does have a conviction about it. So guess who's wrong? Me. Not always easy to admit that. But we, want to, we don't want to cause our brother to stumble. So therefore, the words that come out of our mouth and our actions are very important. Amen? Jesus is the example of the encourager. All through the New Testament, he was encouraging. If you go back and look at it through those filters and, and think, he, even when he had to say something harsh, he immediately encouraged them. Immediately. John 16.33 in the NIV says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. That doesn't sound very good. I, wouldn't, I don't want to sit here and have Brother Moore talk about, you're going to have trouble, it's coming. But he followed up immediately with encouragement. But take heart. This is happening, but I have overcome that. 
and you're in me, by the way. You and you and you, we're all together in this. So this is going to happen, but take heart. We're overcoming this. Don't, don't get stuck in that. Get stuck in the, I'm an overcomer. I'm stepping out of this. Yeah, this is painful for this day, but tomorrow I'm delivered and healed and done. I'm done. I'm finished. I'm overcome. Because that's Jesus himself encouraged it. Countless examples throughout the New Testament. The woman at the well who was living in sin left with the testimony of forgiveness that the scripture says brought many Samaritans to be believers. He didn't deny what was happening, but he encouraged her that there was forgiveness. Amen? Same thing with the woman uh, who was caught in adultery. He stepped in. And she left there knowing what was, what was at that time uh, punishable by death. She was forgiven. He didn't, he didn't black and white the sin, but he said, you're forgiven. He encouraged her as she left. Amen? When Jesus told Peter, you're going to betray me before this day is over. He also said just a few verses later, but I will restore you. You'll be restored to the faith. When you are restored to the faith. A faith statement about what Peter was going to do. When you're restored to the faith. So Jesus was an encourager. He was always encouraging people, always pointing to the Father. Didn't he? He always said, my Father. This is, he always pointed people to the Father. Always loved people. So I want to leave you tonight with some tools to become better encouragers. I know Everyone in here is a perfect encourager already, but we always have room to grow. I'll say, I always have room to grow. Don't, don't ask anybody for a list of areas I can grow in. I'm well aware of all of them, and the Lord's working on me. Amen? But I want to encourage you to make encouragement a part of your daily life. Set a reminder in your phone, however you do it, to encourage somebody. Make a point, purpose to be an encourager. We should be taking every opportunity the Lord gives us. But you know, if you do that in the morning and you just and remind yourself to send a text to someone, just who's been on your mind that morning? Were you, when you were praying to the Lord, put someone on your heart, call, encourage them. You don't have to get into a long conversation with them. Do you know how much it ministers to people just to know that God had them on someone else's mind that morning? And they hadn't said a word to anybody. And it was gonna it was set up to be a tough day and it just got a whole lot easier. Amen? So make it a part of your life. It's the same as the example of the note card that someone sent me. That encouraged me that day. It built me up in faith, not in a boastful pride, but in faith that what I am doing is about the work of the Lord and I'm I'm being used by the Lord. The Lord is using me in these ways. Amen? Ask God to show you who and how to encourage someone. He'll do it. So when you... Now, don't ask if you don't want to do it because He might have you encourage someone that you thought was unlovable before we started talking tonight. I've actually found that to be true a lot. When you have an issue with somebody, that's the first person the Lord will say, go ask them. Go take them to lunch. Go love on them. I know I'm the only one that has that, but learn from my experience. Amen. Use the scriptures. Don't give people your opinion because you know what? The scriptures are promises that they can hang on to when you're gone. When you walk away, give them something to stand on. What are they believing on? Say that scripture with them. Encourage them. Text it to them in the morning if that's what they need. Just a scripture. Just a reminder of the goodness of God. But nothing is going to encourage the people around you like the word of God will. Nothing, nothing brilliant you can come up with will set to say will ever be more powerful than the word. Amen? And I just want to put on here, you never know who around you needs encouragement. I think oftentimes we tend to look around and think they're doing really great. And you know, as people mature in the Lord, it becomes harder to tell when they're going through something. It should. Because we don't carry that on our shoulders. We don't go out and tell, we're not talking our problem to everybody. We're not saying, I'm going through this, I need 50 people to hook up with me. You ought to have some people hooking up with you on things. If you're a part of a church, you want your pastors believing with you. You want that. That's a, that's a privilege uh, to be under that anointing. And so there's things you do want people to hook up with you on. But you don't want to assume that people don't need encouragement. I've walked pe- past people in the lobbies uh, that I see every week. And sometimes the Lord will just say, you know, stop and tell them that you're just thankful that they're here. 
You're thankful for what they do. And I can't tell you how many times that has prompted a conversation about something I was able to hook faith with them on and encourage them in. And it encouraged me from taking just a few minutes of my time to be attentive to the Holy Spirit, to be encouraging, to say, you know what? Some people, th- some people have thought all this time, no one even knows I'm here. I show up for my team. I'm on time. I serve. I serve. I serve. And no one, I could just not even be here and no one would notice. And that's the day that somebody sends, that God will send somebody by to say, you know what? I have noticed your faithfulness. You are always here. I never have, you know, team leaders, I never have to call you and remind you because you've always got the schedule. You know it. And you encourage them. And you know what was, what was, what was all the way over here on empty is suddenly full. It's like a fuel tank. It can flip-flop with a lot less money and a lot fewer words. It can go from zero or from empty to full with just a little bit of love and encouragement. So be attentive to what the Holy Spirit calls you to do. Amen? Um, I had something else. I, I did this last time a little bit, and it says this is a lot shorter, but um, it's a good example of how someone can encourage you and the Lord will get encouragement to you That'll change your course. And oftentimes it's a good example of how simple it is. And this is just some, um, something that I took from, from some journaling that I did a while back. And I, and I hesitate to tell on myself because I know that people think that my life is perfect. And so I don't like to disappoint you, but there's just, I have the same struggles you do. And people, it's so funny. People are like, you know, that was very transparent. I don't know how else to be. I'm me. I'm, I'm on the same journey you're on. We may be at a different place. You may have taken a different route there because that's what God had for you. Or maybe you've been off and you've come back. But we're all on that same journey. By the way, everybody's had a little sojourn from here and there, somewhere in life. Thank God for U-turns and good good GPS of the Holy Spirit to get you back online. Holy Spirit GPS. You didn't know you were going to hear about that tonight, did you? But we're all in this together. And it doesn't matter if you've been walking with the Lord for 40 years. The enemy has 40 years of experience on what to, what darts to shoot at you. We just are better about not receiving them. Amen. But this came up, and so you'll be encouraged with it. Someone told me yesterday that I look tired. I laugh because I always think it's funny when people say that to someone. What do you do? <laughs> you look so tired. Don't say that to people. But, but I know in this case it came from a place of loving concern. I'm not going to lie. It's been an interesting few weeks. I've lost more battles than I've won, and I had to hunt for my love walk because I'd strayed far from anything that resembled love. I let the enemy take a few rounds, but a few rounds is not a victory. Even after years and years of Christian life and ministry, I still forget sometimes who I am and to whom I belong. And when I do that, I beat myself up. No one else does that, do they? Shouldn't need to, but occasionally. This past Friday night, we had a speaker at our church, and he said some simple words that we so easily forget. He said that the Father sent him to tell us how much he loves us. I know this, and yet the words brought tears to my eyes because somehow I had forgotten the truth in those three simple words. He loves me. Nobody is harder on me than me. I am so thankful that he never forgets that I belong to him, and once the self-pity stops, he's always there to help me correct my course. He is faithful. So today, I'm making better choices. Today, I choose the grace, mercy, and the tender correction of Jesus. I choose to accept that he loves me. I choose to follow the gentle nudging back to the path and the healing fellowship with the Father. I choose to be thankful for the loving arms of a Savior who says tenderly, Come, rest. I can fix this. I love you. And so I will rest. And together, we will set out to make things right. Amen. That is encouragement coming. God is going to get encouragement to you. But it's the same principle as reaping and sowing. Encouragers get more encouragement. I want more encouragement in my life. As I face things, as I said, you know, when you've been ministry a long time, things still come against you. They're just different things than they were 15 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. They're just different bullets. But we can still dodge them. And we can help each other by encouraging. Amen? And then I also had as a point, encourage those around the church, your team leaders, your staff, your pastors. I have never had anybody say, stop, stop, stop. I am over-encouraged. 
Just stop. <laughs> Carry a little stop sign around and stop. No more encouragement. I'm full for today. Never. Because you know what encouragement does? It brings a smile to your face. It reminds you of joy. It brings you back to what you have. And then the last thing on encouragement is this. And we're going to close with this. Encourage yourself. I've talked a lot about encouraging others. But fellowship and encouragement cannot be accomplished if you forsake communion with the Lord. The scripture says um, in Jude 20... Uh, verse 20 through 25. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and, had, and of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of this glory with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and ever. Amen. Be encouraged. Spend time with the Lord. He'll show you what you need to do. He'll show you who to encourage. He'll show you how to be a blessing in someone else's life. Do you believe that? Or is anybody encouraged tonight? I was just talking about it. So stand up with me.